We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So first and foremost, thank you for, for inviting me to, to, to talk. Uh, the last time I've been at ISNS was, I think, 1996. So it's nice to see that the community is still, is still vibrant. So <coughs> uh, in terms of, of the student experience on colleges, uh, I'm going to tell you what's been happening at places like Loyola uh, for the past few years. And some of this is going to be very, very tough to hear, uh, but I think these are things that we all have to be very, very aware of. So I've been chaplain officially for, for about three years, unofficially for quite a few years before that, and meaning now I'm on the university payroll, whereas before I was just doing it uh, to give time to the students. And then aside from that, I also teach, as, as, as the brother mentioned, um, in the Department of Theology and in the Department of Literature, I teach Islamic Studies courses. So uh, the most common issue that students have been visiting me with, seeking counseling, in the last school year, meaning 2015-16, okay, was anxiety. Okay? That students were complaining about anxiety. We're afraid. I don't know why I'm afraid. I'm full of, I'm full of panic. I'm having panic attacks. And then I talked to our counselors and our social workers to find out what do they think is happening. And they said that uh, the young high schoolers, the college students, they're not trained as much in struggle. They don't have as much resilience. And I think that's to, uh, uh, true to some degree. But imagine the common college student right now. Imagine the common high school student right now. Uh, the common college student does not have any memory of 9-11. Right? All of us who are older, we all remember 9-11. But the co common college student has no memory of it, but the common college student has had to live in the shadow of 9-11. Right? And then on top of that, the entirety of the lives of these college students, America has been at war with Muslims. Okay? Those of us who are older, we remember a time before 9-11, we remember a time even before, before uh, Saddam Hussein uh, invaded Iraq, right? When the world, uh, the big enemy of America was the Soviet Union. But as you and I know, the big enemy, whether they want to say ISIS or Islamic terrorism or Islamic radicalism or just Muslims, uh, we are being treated as the enemy. Okay? But my point is that for college students and high school students, this has been their whole lives. Okay? They don't know of an America different than that. And a third point to think about, when I grew up here in, in Chicago, you know, for, mashallah, more than 40 years, uh, and when I was a child, my heroes were all people from mainstream American society. So Muhammad Ali was the most famous boxer in the world, and he was also famous because he's Muslim. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was the most famous basketball player, right? The Sears Tower and the John Hancock Building were designed by Muslims. Okay? And so for me, what was normal for me was that the Muslims had to be the best of the best. Okay. But the common Muslim right now does not have any such heroes. Okay. And even try to think, who are the heroes of, of Muslims who are growing up in America right now? It's a tough question to answer. Okay. Except for those people who have already gone, like Muhammad Ali, who's passed away, like the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who who doesn't play anymore, but he still writes. And so try to think of the mindset of, of a young Muslim who is coming to college. Now, why did I say that last year the most common issue was anxiety? Because I trace this back to an event that happened two years ago, a little over two years ago, and this is the case we all are aware of. Uh, in North Carolina, there were three Syrian college students who were murdered. I think two, one was a dental student and the other two were, were college students in North Carolina. And from that point forward, students had been coming to my office much more. And what are they saying? They're afraid that the hate against Muslims that we've been concerned about, now the dam is broken. Now everyone's going to come attacking us. Okay, it didn't happen. Uh, but nevertheless, we all know of attack after attack after attack um, since then. And so... 
going back to my point that from that point forward into 2000, uh, early 15, all the way through the end of 2015, all of 2016, the most common issue was anxiety. Okay. Now, the next point to think about is that when the school year began this year, 2016-2017, usually when we begin the new school year, everyone's full of energy. Right? There's excitement for the beginning of the school year. You're seeing all your old friends. You're starting new classes and such. Uh, the Muslim students, however, seem to be completely exhausted. They had no energy. And try to imagine why. What was last summer like? There was the shooting in Orlando, right? blamed on Muslims. Just a little bit before that, there was a shooting in Chattanooga, Tennessee, blamed on Muslims. Then there's bombings in so many places in the world, including even Medina, if you remember last summer. And from that point, students had been constantly contacting me, afraid. What does this mean for us? And so when they began the school year, they had no energy at all. Completely, completely drained, completely exhausted. But then we had the election. And all of us know how much hate was being said about us. And we've all been noticing how much these white supremacist groups have been targeting us. Okay. I mean, my parents' house was vandalized uh, by people who thought they were serving their country. My sister, who's a pharmacist, you know, she was, she was uh, basically the, one of the customers yelled at her, go back to your country, even though she was just serving the customer. My other sister is also a pharmacist, had people who were, who were insulting her, meaning all of us either have, have experienced hate or we know people, perhaps in our family or our friends, who've all experienced hate. Okay. But when we got closer to the elections, my students kept contacting me saying, he's going to win. Okay. And then when we got into that evening, they kept calling me, texting me, emailing me, saying, he's going to win. And I kept saying, no, not possible. Someone like that can't win. Okay. And all the way 6 o'clock p.m., 7 o'clock p.m., 8 o'clock p.m., and I kept saying, no, no chance, can't happen. 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and we all know how history played out from then. Okay. And then I thought, well, subhanAllah. Okay. And then from Tuesday night, all day, all night, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, nonstop, students have been terrified. Okay. What is going to happen to us? Are we all going to be sent to concentration camps now? How much are people going to attack us now? Now, most of the universities in Chicago, there's safe spaces for Muslims, in large part because we have so many Muslims at all these universities. University of Chicago has maybe 200 Muslims. Northwestern has about 200 Muslims. UIC might have 3,000 Muslims. DePaul has about 900. Loyola has 800 Muslims. And I'm saying just the undergrad students. Loyola has 800 Muslims. It's 7% of the population. The Jews are about 3% of the population. Hindus are about 3% of the population. And <clears throat> nevertheless, they've all been absolutely afraid. What is the future? So ask yourself, what would you tell a 20-year-old? Would you tell them nothing's going to happen? Would you tell them that no, everything's going to be fine, because some of these students are Syrian, and they're already seeing what has happened in Syria. Okay. Complete devastation. And so now let me pause on the election and talk about the Syrian students, the Palestinian students, and such. Okay. When I started at Loyola, the Syrian students were full of energy, very, very good students. Okay. Many of them have been taught Dean very well. But then about five years ago, when the situation started collapsing in Syria, when Assad started wiping out all of these Syrians, I watched the Syrian students go from very, very happy, excited people to zombies, meaning no energy. They don't even know how to think about everything, anything. And that's how they were for year after year after year. And then they started turning angry, feeling that the entire world has abandoned us. And that's how a lot of the Syrian students are now. But many of them, perhaps most of them, are in very deep depression. Okay. In some cases, they don't want to admit that they're in depression, but if you talk to them, it's obvious. Okay. And they're going through the exact same thing our Palestinian students have already gone through. Okay. First full of energy, 
then turning angry because they feel like no one in the world cares about us, and then also going through a type of depression. Okay. Now, let's go back then to the election. When the students are asking me what's going to happen, I'm telling them, I don't know. I don't know where we're going to be in one year. Okay. Maybe everything will be fine, or maybe the worst possible things will happen. Okay. I don't know. Because when we look at the history of every other country, and when we look at some of our books of, of the philosophy of history, like Ibn Khaldun has one of the most famous books of philosophy of history, when a nation was full of power and it starts declining, and corruption increases inside the nation, then at some point they start blaming some other group for their problems. Okay. So in Germany, they blamed the Jews when they were having an economic problem, and then that opened the door for the Holocaust. In the Balkans, meaning Yugoslavia, Serbia, when the economy was falling, what did they start preaching? They started preaching against Muslims and Catholics, especially Muslims. And what were they preaching about Muslims? In Bosnia, they were saying that all of these Muslims want to take our women away from us. They can marry four wives, they're going to take all of our women away. Okay? And what happens in the mind of people when the economy is collapsing, they're getting afraid. And then they're thinking, yeah, it's their fault. Okay. And you and I know that's what's happening here. Okay. So I've been telling the students, number one, I don't know where we are going to be. But number two, Allah Ta'ala will not give you anything you can't handle. Okay. It's a promise from Allah that you will be hit with struggle. Okay. That's a guarantee. But it's also a guarantee that you will not be hit with anything that you can't handle. Okay. So if all these bad things happen in this society, if the economy crashes and people turn against us, or if there's another attack and people turn against us, we'll deal with it. Okay. And if Allah wills, we'll continue after that. Okay. Or the worst case scenario is that we'll all become shaheed. Okay. But the point is, it's a guarantee in dunya you will be hit with struggle. Okay. And it's a second guarantee that Allah Ta'ala will not give you anything you can't handle. Okay. For some students, this works. For other students, it doesn't work. Okay. Because then they start thinking, okay, why is nobody in the Muslim community doing anything about this? Why aren't we pushing back? Why aren't we responding? Why are we all staying silent? There's a simple, small book that I would recommend everyone to read that just came out. You can get it at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. It's called On Tyranny. It's a very short book, very, very thin, small book. It's about $6. And this author, he said, I wrote this book. I'm a history professor, and I see what's happening in America right now. And he's giving 20 pieces of advice to everyone. And the first piece of advice is do not let the tyrants have too much power. So it's called on tyranny. Meaning what happens is when you have a tyrant taking over, then the minority populations, they get afraid, and they start giving the tyrant everything. Okay. And then the tyrant tries to take even more power. And again, this is what happened in Germany, this is what happened in Bosnia, this is what happens with Fir'aun. Okay. And so another lesson that I gave to the students is, okay, you have to push back. Okay. Meaning, even if you're afraid, you can be sure there are a lot of people in this country who are not going to give the country away. And this is what we saw, right? When the Muslim ban was announced, a whole lot of non-Muslims were coming to the airports, a whole lot of non-Muslim attorneys were giving free services. But I said to them, we can't rely upon them. Okay? They will keep doing this as long as they are able. But all, of, all that Donald Trump has to do is last longer than them. Okay? Donald Trump's meals are all paid. These people who are doing things for free, they have to go eat dinner. They have to go back to work at some point. Okay? And further, our reliance is not on them. Our reliance is on Allah Ta'ala. Okay? Meaning, if Allah Ta'ala is hitting us with struggle, that is in his will. Okay? But now move forward. When we get to the inauguration, now students are entering my office crying. Okay. They're getting even more afraid. Literally, they're coming to my office in tears. What's going to happen when he, when he has power? 
And my answer has been the same thing. Okay. And think about what you would say if young people come to you, ask you what's happening. Uh, if they're very young, obviously you tell them, okay, inshallah, we're going to be okay. But if they're above 14, when, they're, when their intellect, their aql is, is already strong, then you have to be honest. But honesty means we don't know where we will be, but it'll only happen if Allah Ta'ala allows it. Okay. But then something new developed in February and March. A lot of students kept coming to me complaining about faith problems, meaning, how do I know Islam is the truth? How do I know there's a God? How do I know Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is real? Why Islam? Why not every other religion? Okay. And I'm saying a surge, to give you an idea, in a given day, maybe 10 students, maybe 15 students visit me in the office. Some are scheduled appointments, some are walk-ins. And so 10 to 15 students a day, five days a week. And I'm saying maybe as much as 40% of those students in February, March are now having faith problems. I'm trying to understand, I don't know where this is coming from. One possibility is that I'm watching them break down. Remember I said they began the school year exhausted, and then with the elections they, they became lower, and then with the inauguration they became lower, and now they're in even worse shape. I don't know. But with each student, one by one, we work on it. With some students, you know, I, I go through Quran with them. With other students, I go through the Hadith with them. With other students, I might go through Rumi with them. With other students, we might go through other books with them to try to help them redevelop their Islam. Okay. But that is all of February, and then quite a bit of March. But then the end of March to now, this is the last week of school finals actually are tomorrow. The most common issue now is suicide ideation. Ideation is a student who's talking about ever ending everything. And if not suicide ideation, suicide attempts. Okay. Literally, student after student after student is coming saying, you know, who cares about anything? I don't, uh, you know, why does anything matter? Okay. Now, one reason for this could actually be something outside of the experience of Muslims. Because I talk to other people on campus, this has also been a problem with non-Muslims. That at Loyal, we've had multiple suicide attempts from non-Muslims, and when I talk to people at other campuses, everyone's been having an increase. And so on Netflix, there's a show called 13 Reasons Why. Uh, any of you young people, have you heard of it? Are your friends watching it? Okay, yeah. And so uh, tell us, what is the show about? One of you. Yeah, the whole show on Netflix is about a girl who kills herself. Okay. It's like 10 episodes, the last episode she commits suicide. Okay. And so as I'm talking to people um, who are either therapists, psychiatrists, or other people who are chaplains, everyone is saying this problem of suicide, speaking of suicide and attempting suicide has skyrocketed. And we still don't know what it is, but one theory is it's related to this show. Have you, have you seen the show? Okay, I'm, I haven't seen it yet, but some of my colleagues are saying that in the show, it's almost as though they're saying you shouldn't go talk and you shouldn't get help from, uh, from specialists. What do you think? Yeah, I can see how people can get that impression. Yeah. So, so that's what people are saying, that if you're going through depression, don't get help from someone else. It's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So everyone's judging her, um, and this is exactly, literally, what Muslim students have been saying to me. Okay. So on the one hand, we have this political problem in our society. On the other hand, I'm saying that all the Muslims are here are younger than 9/11. America has been at war against Muslims their whole lives, and there's no heroes. And then on top of that. There's a problem of this show. Okay. And even if we say to our children, okay, don't watch the show, all their friends are watching it. Okay. When I asked the college, Muslim college students, are people talking about this show? And they said, yeah, everyone's watching the show. Okay. It's like, what is it, 10 episodes? 13, 13 episodes. Oh, 13 episodes of Peter Falls, yeah. Okay. 
So that brings us to where we are today. Okay. Meaning even this past week, students have been complaining to me about faith problems. Even this past week, students have been speaking about ending everything. And sometimes it's the same student. So ask yourself, what is it that we need to do? What is it that we can do? Because I am working alone with 800 Muslims. And to put this in perspective, our staff at school that addresses people who are in fraternities, we have three full-time staff. That's 1,200 students. I'm one person trying to help 800. And then in many cases, I refer them to our social workers. Uh, but sometimes students don't want to go. So another point to think about is when we speak about mental health. Okay. When a student is complaining about depression, or if someone in your life, your child, an elder, is complaining about depression, ask yourself what answer you'd give. If the answer you give is you have to pray more, that's not the right answer. Okay. Everybody has to pray more anyway. Okay. But what I'm saying is that when we speak in our system, you have the mind, you have the heart, you have the body. Okay, and then you have the ruh. We don't know much about the ruh, the soul, except what Allah Ta'ala has shared. And so you can have depression of the body. This is a physiological condition. This is a real condition. There's new studies saying that what, the, the, uh, what we call the biome in your stomach, uh, there is a recent study, literally just came out perhaps in the past week, that says that if you, the probiotics that are in your stomach have been shown in mice to decrease depression. Okay. And I'm saying it's a real thing. Okay. Depression is a real thing. Okay. That in the past in our history, you know, this is, we're talking about 300 years, 500 years, that which we call huzn, depression. For some people, reciting ayat of the Quran, surat al-duha in particular would help. For other people, your focus is on what are they eating. Okay. Your focus is on uh, what are they drinking. Because what else takes place is when you drink carbonated drinks, Coke, Sprite, those things, it wipes out these, uh, these probiotics that are in your stomach. It wipes out the biome in your stomach. Okay. And so what I'm saying at one level, the depression is going to happen just because of what we're eating and drinking. And this is before talking about processed food. Okay. But then depression of the mind is something different. That you especially address by talking to people. Okay. But then there's depression of the heart. Now, when I'm speaking about depression of the heart, when students come to me with a faith problem, okay, meaning many, many students are saying, I want to leave the dean. Okay. Now, what you might be surprised to find, uh, so we have about 130 foreign students uh, at Loyola. Most of them are from the Gulf, meaning Saudi Arabia, Oman, Qatar, those places. And my Saudi students are telling me, that the young people in Saudi Arabia, like many of them, are becoming atheists. Okay. But one thing I've noticed 100% of the time, 100% of the time, when someone has come to me saying, I want to leave the dean, the problem is not logic. Okay. Meaning, I'll ask them, okay, well, you know, what's your issue, what's your, what's your concern? And sometimes they'll begin by saying, okay, how can you have a God that is good and evil in this world. Or they'll say, if Allah controls everything, then we don't have free will. And if we don't have free will, because Allah is controlling everything, then how is the Day of Judgment fair? Points like this. Okay? And those we can discuss if you'd like. But when I let them talk and talk and talk and talk, always the problem is something different. So I'll give you an example. The first time I experienced this was maybe 20 years ago. I went to a conference um, um, just to listen to some lectures. This is in New Jersey. And some young Pakistani man, he was from Lahore, he started walking around trying to argue with everyone. Okay. How can you have Allah who controls everything, and then how do we have choice in anything? Okay. Everything, if Allah controls everything, then we have no free will. Okay. And so some people didn't want to talk to him, so they, so they referred him to me, because this is what sometimes people do. And so as I'm listening to him, He's talking full speed for hours and hours, literally maybe three hours. And sometimes when he has a problem in his logic, I politely push back saying, no, that doesn't make sense. And this is wrong. But then he started crying. And he says, okay, here's the real story. The real story is my brother died in a car accident six months ago. 
and I can't cope with it. Okay. So what was his way to cope with it? He started getting angry, and he started getting angry at Allah Ta'ala. You know, why did this happen to me? So his way to have revenge, a'udhu billah, with Allah Ta'ala, is to say, you don't exist. Okay. And 100% of the cases since then, it's always been a problem like this. I had another student a few years ago, not from Loyola, but some people told me to talk to me, that he went to full-time Islamic school, from kindergarten all the way through high school. Okay. And he had exactly the same experience. He had a brother, this is in the western suburbs, his brother died in a car accident. And he is saying, I went to full-time Islamic school, I did everything correctly, but Islam didn't help me when I needed it. Okay. And maybe he wasn't taught Islam properly, but maybe he was, maybe he didn't understand. And that's another case. But usually, so what I'm saying is every single time someone wanted to leave the deen, the problem is that it's, imagine their heart is scarred, their heart is scratched, their heart is broken. But usually the complaint is against the parents. Okay? And usually, usually the complaint is against their fathers. Okay? So this is another question for everyone to ask ourselves, all the parents in this room. What do your children think of you? Meaning, what do your children honestly think of you? Okay. Give you an example. Sometimes when parents come to me, you know, saying, okay, my child isn't listening, my child isn't, uh, doesn't behave, my child is going astray. I'll ask them, how many times do you tell your child, I love you? Okay. And then the parents say, what? Yeah, they know I love them. But in this society, you have to hear it. All of us who are parents, you know, mashallah, I have two daughters. Every parent in this room, we know, will bend over backwards, will break our backs to give our children everything. Okay? Everything we can, we'll try to figure out a way to give it to our children. Okay? And our children know this, but they still need to hear, I love you. They need to hear, I'm proud of you. Okay? And so another question I ask parents, and this is for you to ask yourself, when your child, how many times a day do you correct your child? How many times a day do you reprimand your child? And how many times a day do you praise your child? Okay. It should be even. Okay. But we know the joke. Okay. Someone, you know, a young person comes home and says, you know, Abu Ami, I had a big competition. There were 40,000 people. And I came second. What does every Desi parent say? Why don't you get first? Why not first? Right? Okay. <laughs> What are you saying and what is a child hearing? What you're saying is, I know you can be first. Okay? But the child is hearing, you failed. Okay? And this is the complaint over and over again. Okay? I mean, every single one of us, every parent in this room loves our children, and every child in this room, if they are honest with themselves, they know their parents love them. But what does your child really think of you? Does your child think of you as someone angry all the time? Because this is what these young people say to me about their fathers. Okay. Does the child think of you as fair? Okay. Does the child think of you as generous? Okay. Now there's something else that you're working against. Okay. We've already spoken about all the experiences of Muslims, and then you have this TV show, you have the politics. But think of all of the American TV shows you watch, and all the American movies, how many of them have a positive father figure. Some of them have positive mother figures. How many do have a positive father? Okay. So my older child, my older daughter, mashallah, she's 16, almost 17. She just started driving, and at first I was afraid, but then I realized student drivers are the safest drivers, so now she can take me everywhere, and I can just do work. But I noticed this when she was a child, when she was little, and she wanted me to read stories to her when we were going to sleep. Okay, so sometimes I would read her stories from Dean. So we went through the story of, of Adam and Eve, peace be upon them. We went through the story of Iblis. And of course, two daughters. When we went through the story of Iblis, one daughter, my, one daughter her name is Jannah, the other daughter is Layla. After going through the story of Iblis, Jannah says, I think Layla is friends with Iblis. Yeah. Right? This is what kids do. But <clears throat> sometimes we'd go through stories like Disney stories. Okay? Beauty and the Beast. Aladdin, whatever else, Mulan, okay, Lilo and Stitch. And here's one thing you notice in every single one of them. 
the father is always either a fool or mean or a hypocrite. Okay. Sometimes a mother is nice and sometimes a mother is presented the same way. Okay. In Brave, the father, this is Brave, this is a, a not too long ago, a movie that takes place in Ireland, cartoon animated movie. The father is dumb and the mother has a very hot temper. Okay. So when our children are watching these, we're all getting programmed okay? that this is how your parents are. Even I had this experience growing up. I would watch the Flintstones. I would watch all these other shows. And I got programmed to think that my father is always angry. Even though I knew my father, yeah, well, he was angry when I was bad. And I was often bad, so that's when he was angry. Right? But the point is that because of watching these shows, that's what I was being programmed to see as my father. And so what I'm saying is that very often students are coming having a problem of faith. Most often the problem is with their parents, most often the problem is with their father, and sometimes it is real in the sense that sometimes the father is a tyrant. Sometimes the father is unfair. But sometimes the father or the mother, they're nice good people, but what the young people are being programmed is to think, my parents are weak, my parents are dumb, my parents are foreign, they don't know anything. Okay. Now, <clears throat> what is often the cure? Not the cure for depression. I'm saying depression is a real thing that often requires serious mental health, okay? um, like through a counselor or therapist. But what is often the cure for someone who is having a faith problem? It's rahmah. Okay. Right? The primary relationship that Allah Ta'ala has with creation is Rahmah or Rahman or Rahim. The primary relationship the Prophet Muhammad has with all of creation is Rahmah, right? Okay? The primary relationship that husband and wife should have is Rahmah. The primary relationship in Surah Al Fat that believers should have with each other is Rahmah. And we're even taught that children should have rahmah with their parents, parents should have rahmah with their children. And what I'm saying is that one of the cures for someone who has a problem with a faith is you give them compassion, you give them rahmah. Okay? And it's strange for some of these students, I'm the first desi uncle in their lives who speaks nice, nicely to them. Okay? Okay. And usually I'm the first person who they feel like they can share all of their complaints. And I'm not saying there's anything noble about me, right? I'm just saying this is the first time they've experienced it. Or maybe this is the first time they allowed themselves to experience it because all their mamus, their chachas, their khalas, their popos and everything, they're all probably very nice people. Okay. That's usually what cures their problem of faith. Okay. So I start out with Qur'an, we might start out with Hadith, we might start out with, with the Sira of the Prophet, peace be upon him, we might read something else, Rumi al-Ghazali, etc., etc. But usually what solves the problem of faith is Rahmah. Okay. Be generous to them. Be kind to them. Respect their intelligence. And something, again, we find very often with Desi parents, Desi parents love their children just as much as everyone else, maybe more, is they'll show off to all their friends, look, my child won this award, your child didn't. My child does this, your child can't do this. My child do, does this. And then when they come home, they see the child, right? go clean your room. Yeah. And what am I saying? Ask yourself, when your child thinks of you, does your child think of you as someone of Rahmah? Now, this doesn't mean you don't punish your child when your child is wrong. But what your child should see is when I'm doing something correctly, they're praising me, and when I'm doing something wrong, they're correcting me. Okay. The logic should fit in the child's head. But if the child thinks, okay, when I do something wrong, I get in trouble. But if I do something right, either they tell me I should have been better, or they don't praise me, then the child starts thinking, I can't do anything right. Because okay. that's what the parents are teaching them. And the parents don't realize it. Okay. And so seriously think about this. And I'm saying this with full respect with our children. That for this generation, they have to hear, I love you. They have to hear, I'm proud of you. Over and over again. Okay. I don't know what it will be like for the next generation. Maybe for the next generation it will be something different. Okay. The generation after that, it will be something different. Okay.
Now, there's also a bright side. I don't want to only share unhappy things. Because what else has been happening throughout this whole school year? Because of the political situation, a lot of our Muslim students are saying, okay, I need to learn my Islam. Some students are being beaten down. What other students are saying, okay, tell me what I need to do. I need to improve my Islam because I don't know what else to do. And so you also have some students that are trying to increase their Islam. So Juma attendance, some people are stopping to show up. Other people, new people who haven't showed up for a long time are coming. Okay. And many non-Muslims are interested in Islam. Because think about this. If America is staying, saying, stay away from Islam, every kid who, come, who is raised in America doesn't want to list, listen to what they're told. So if America is saying, stay away from Islam, where are all the non-Muslim kids going to be interested in? Okay. So most of my classes, my academic classes, out of 35 students, maybe four are Muslim, all the rest are non-Muslim. Okay. Year after year after year after year. Okay. So, so we have non-Muslims who are developing interest in Islam. And some of it is by halal ways. Some of it isn't. So I'll give you one example. And it's both bad, but it's also funny. Uh, but this is real. A Pakistani girl, Muslim girl, is dating a Hindu guy. Okay? Now this is a very common thing on campus, all over, all over across the campuses. And he introduces her to things like drinking, and you can imagine what other haram things. And then he decides on his own, he wants to learn about Islam. Okay. So she sends him to talk to me. Okay. And he gets interested in Islam more and more. And I think he experiences the same thing. I'm the first Desi uncle talking to him politely. Okay. So he likes to play chess, we play chess together. I gave him a book of Sira, I say, okay, tear it apart. Everything that's not confusing, it doesn't make sense, come back and we'll talk about it. Okay. And more and more, he actually likes the story. And then, remember, he's a Hindu student. He says, my parents are the Quraysh. Right. And that's how he keeps talking about his parents. I said, no, no, no. Be polite about your parents. Okay. So then he gets more interested. And so he wants to learn how to pray. Okay. So he finds a website. I go through the website with him. I say, OK, learn Al-Fatiha. Take as long as you want. And then we'll work on it together. Okay, that was Monday, a few weeks ago. Tuesday, he comes back, he says, okay, I want you to test me, I've memorized the whole namaz. Okay. Except for tashahud and durud at the end. Everything else he's memorized. And so he's, I'm making him in my office, and he's standing, he's going through the whole thing. Okay. And he's doing pretty well, mashallah. Okay. And then his Pakistani girlfriend starts texting me, why is he spending all his time with you? I said, what do you expect? And then he's telling me, okay, if I become Muslim, what do I have to change? And I said, okay, you're going to have to stop drinking. Okay. And he says, but all the guys I drink with are Muslim. Okay. And then he started coming to Jummah. He says, all those guys in the front row, I was getting drunk with them last Saturday. Okay. And I said, at least they're coming for namaz. Because we also have the teaching where some sahabas are complaining to the Prophet, peace be upon him. This guy who comes with us, he prays, he prays Isha with, Isha with us, and then he goes out and, had, and drinks all night. And the, what does the Prophet wasallam, say? Either the salah will overtake the drinking and he'll stop drinking, or the drinking will overtake the salah and he'll stop salah. But the salah won. Okay. So I'm saying, okay, yeah, they know they shouldn't be doing that, but at least they're coming for, 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 for namaz. And so <coughs> he became Muslim, mashallah. Yeah. And then we have the other conversations. How does he tell his parents, so forth and so on? And I told him, okay, go easy on your parents, be good to your parents. And then immediately he went home. He told his parents he's going to become Muslim, okay? or he's becoming Muslim. And then his mother says, if you become Muslim, I'm going to kill myself. Okay. Then I ask, is she really going to do this? He says, no, I don't think so. I said, okay, well, there's a case of a Sahabi who is going to migrate. And his mother said, okay, if you don't, if you don't, if you, if you migrate with Muhammad, sallallahu I'm never going to bathe ever again. And then the son said to his mother, 
Okay, you're not going to be able to last. All these bugs are going to get in your hair. You're going to get sick of it, and then, and then you'll give in. And so, so he stayed Muslim. Okay. So we have other people. We have Muslims who are renewing their deen. Okay. And then we have non-Muslims who are getting more and more interested in Islam. Okay. And so that brings us now to where we are today. Okay. The summer is about to begin. It's fair to assume that the summer is also going to be hectic. Okay. Who knows how many attacks there will be, France, America, etc. Who knows how many bombs we will drop. I even had a student who was killed in a drone strike. Okay. Muslim kid who was killed in a drone strike. Okay. Who knows what is ahead. But the last point I want you to think about, and then we can open it for discussion and questions, is the main thing I want I'm asking for each of you elders in this room, okay? Number one, evaluate what your children think of you, okay? And if something needs to be changed, please change it. Because my job only exists because whatever needed to happen in the home didn't happen. And I'm not blaming parents, okay? All of us learn how to be parents, and it's very hard to be a parent in America, okay? So many things. And related to that, I grew up in America, went to public school, went to public high school. And the problems when I was growing up are nothing compared to the problems that these young people have to go through. Okay? All the difficulties I may have had is a piece of cake compared to what they have to go through. So one, evaluate what your children think of you. Okay? And if something needs to be changed, then please change it. And usually the issue is that the children need more rahmah. And to make that point further, I said this to one father, and he said, why, why should I be merciful to my child? He doesn't pray for Ajar, he doesn't clean his room, he doesn't do such and such. This is the child who later ran away, went to Yemen, and he was killed in a drone strike. Okay. And the second thing, uh, and this is for everyone, including the young people in this room, okay, I'm asking you to become mentors. Okay. Meaning, find people who are younger than you, and figure out how you can help them. Okay, all those of you who might be 20 years old or teenagers, you can be mentors to people, to kids who are even younger than you. Okay, and what I'm saying is for all of you young people, think of what you wish you could have in terms of elders. Okay, you have to be that for the people who are younger than you. The elders here have to be that for you, but you have to be that for the people who are younger. Because most of the time, when students come to me, I might be answering them questions from Dean, but a lot of times I'm answering questions to them just because I've been, I'm twice as old as they are. Okay. I know how much life works much better than what they do. Okay. Those are the two requests. Now further, especially for you young people, but this is everyone, if you are having a problem of faith, okay, or if you are really thinking that, okay, there's no point, why should I stay alive? Please talk to someone. Every elder in this room loves you completely, okay? Even the people who are not your parents. And proof of that is how much effort is put into making the center run, okay? But find someone to talk to, okay? But depression is not just in young people, depression is in elders too. That I would say probably a minimum of about a 30% of the Muslim community elders, and I'm saying 40 years old and older, are probably going through some sort of depression. Okay? Because you're also facing, I'm also facing the same thing all the kids are facing too. Okay? And some of this is related to just diet. I'm saying depression is a real thing. Okay? But the last point, again saying I don't know what the future is for Muslims in America. Okay? I don't know where we'll be in a year, I don't know where we'll be in six months. But I will say the only thing that you will have to protect you is Allah Ta'ala, right? Think of the Muslims when they're at the Battle of Badr, okay? and they're seeing a thousand people. Okay? We've all heard the story many times. What is going on in their minds when there's only 300 of them? Okay? That they have nothing except for Allah in this moment. And that's how you and I will be. And then think of Uhud, why did the Muslims lose Uhud? Because Allah Ta'ala says about them, about the archers, that in that moment, dunya was more important to you than Allah Ta'ala. So I'm saying, work on your iman. Okay. And if I can help any of you, all you have to do to Google me is just go to Muslim Chaplain Loyola, and you'll find my contact information very easily. 
Okay, inshallah. So if I can help any of you, elders or young people, then I'm at your service, inshallah. But that's all I have. I'm um, happy to open the floor for any questions. Wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillah. Yeah, this is Mike. So one question at a time, please. Brother Omar, that was an excellent talk. Thank you. Thank you for enlightening me. Do you think perhaps um, being well informed as a child about your own iman and your own theme, do you think perhaps that may be an issue? I mean, do you think that's where it's stemming from? Mm-hmm. And then how do we overcome that? Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a very important question. So, <clears throat> if we think about what does Dean offer, whether we're talking about Islam, Christianity, etc., one thing Dean offers is success in your akhirah, right? Whether it's a Christian uh, approach, Jewish approach, Buddhist, etc., etc. Um, so that's one thing Dean offers. Okay, uh, but if you don't have as much iman, that's not going to be strong enough for you. Okay, so some kids will start college saying, "Oh, I can't do this behavior because you know it's wrong. I'm going to go to hell." But then all their friends are doing it, and then it starts wearing them down. Then eventually they say, okay, I'll try it once. And then I'll try it again. And then it becomes a slippery slope. But what else should Dean provide for you is how to navigate life. Okay? And so if you think about it, we often say Islam is a test. Everything in the world is a test. But we don't say, how do you pass the test? Okay? So every single moment of your life will be one of four tests. Okay? Every moment will be one of four tests, including right now. One test is the test of obedience, okay? Right? Allah Ta'ala says about Ibrahim alayhi salam that we tested him, okay? And then he completed the test, okay? So that's obedience. How do you pass the test of obedience? You obey, okay? And a dua to make to help you in obedience is you ask Allah, please make easy for, uh, me, easy for me what is halal and please make hard for me what is haram, okay? Second type of test is ease, when Allah Ta'ala gives you ease. So for example, right now, maybe you have 500 things on your mind, but you're sitting in ease, in the comfort of a masjid, a beautiful masjid, mashallah, in the comfort of the temperature of this room, nice chairs, okay? How do you pass the test of ease? With gratitude, okay? If you look at the whole story of Bani Israel in Al-Baqarah, what is their fundamental flaw? They did not have gratitude. Allah Ta'ala gave them everything of dunya, but they were not grateful, okay? So you pass that test by being grateful. What is the du'a to make? This is in Surah Al-Ahqaf, Surah 46, Ayah 15. Rabbi, awzi'mi an ashkura ni'mataka lati an amta alayya wa ala walidayya. My Lord, guide me to be grateful. My Lord, make me be grateful for what you have bestowed upon me and upon my parents. Okay. Third test is difficulty. Okay. So we're saying Allah will definitely give you difficulty. How do you pass this test? You persevere through it. You always keep a good impression of Allah. Okay? You have to give a good impression of Allah, meaning, okay, Allah Ta'ala is making everything fall apart, car crash, uh, I lost my job, my child is sick, but you always have to have a good impression of Allah. You persevere through without breaking any rules. And you also say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Okay? And a dua that goes with this is, is the dua of Musa alayhi salam, when he says, my Lord, this is in Surah Al-Qasas, Surah 28, around Ayah 24, my Lord, I'm in need of any good that you send down to me. Okay. And then the fourth test is when you have to make a difficult decision. Okay. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? I don't know which what I should do. Or sometimes all the choices are bad, and the dua for that is istikhara. So what I'm saying is that in terms of knowledge of deen, some of it is they need to know their aqidah, which is easy to teach. Okay. But what I'm saying we really need to teach them is how through deen to get through life. So we do tell them correctly, everything is a test, but we usually don't tell them how to pass. Okay. Which means, yes, you're absolutely going to be hit with struggle. And then you persevere and you keep a good impression of Allah. Okay. And you also have to be grateful when things are good. Okay. And sometimes it'll be the same thing at the same time. Maybe someone in this room is very sick right now, or their family member is sick, but they're also here. Be grateful for this, and persevere regarding the sickness. Okay. So that's my suggestion. All right. yeah. I'm just happy the youth stayed this long and didn't fall asleep, mashallah. <laughs> right. yeah. So, rather what I hear, like some of the universities, like missionaries, they reach out to Muslim students yeah. and they try to confuse them yeah. and try to invite. So, how do you think we should? So, this has also happened at Loyola. So, Moody Bible Institute um, downtown. 
Uh, this is where a lot of the right-wing evangelicals go for training. And they like to say that more Muslims have come to Christianity in the last 14 years than the last 1,400 years. Okay? This is what they say. And uh, whether or not it's true, Allah knows best. But a lot of Muslims are going into Christianity, a'udhu billah. There's even, I met somebody from the Bay Area in California who told me there's a whole church of former Muslims. And I said, these were Iranians. Maybe they weren't even religious in the first place when they migrated here, but now they're all Christians. Okay. Uh, more often, Muslims are not going to Christianity. More often, they're going to atheism or, or agnosticism. Agnosticism means, I don't know if anything's true or not. That's usually where they go. Okay. But, yeah, these students do come. And, and so, uh, I've even told, I go to a Catholic, I work at a Catholic university, right? And I told them, this is happening. These, student, these people are targeting the Muslims. And they said, all right, anytime you find uh, any of them, get their ID, get their email, and tell them to leave campus. So that I've had to do. I've had to tell some of these people, you're not welcome on this campus, go. Okay. But uh, we also, it, the more, or I'll put it to you like this, uh, a student of mine, uh, he, he was an evangelical, meaning he's going out preaching, trying to convert everyone, and he called it fishing. He said they would go to campus, and they're not looking for the Muslim who's with the MSA. They're looking for the Muslim who's by himself, by herself. And then they would start talking to them, like in the cafeteria or in class or something, and become friends with them. This is the exact strategy he's saying they did. And then uh, they, if the student had any difficulty, like, okay, I can't afford my textbook, then they would say, here, I'll pay for it. Okay. And then they'd be friends for months and months and months, get to know them better, and they'd say, hey, why don't you come here? And then they come to the church, and everybody in the church welcomes them. Okay. Now think about it, when someone enters the masjid, is there anybody to welcome? Usually not, because usually we don't have a budget, basically, even for basic maintenance. Okay. But everyone is welcoming them, and it's the same thing. They're giving them rahmah. Okay. And in some cases, they win. Now the person who told me this, this is what he did. But he said, I always had one problem. I, in my heart, I always felt this was dishonest. Okay. That I'm becoming friends with them only with the goal of converting them. And then, he, he's black American, he was on a, a trip in Senegal, and then he said when he was in Senegal, he met all these Muslims, and they would feed him, they would take care of him, and it felt completely sincere. So he became Muslim, okay, because of the behavior of the Muslims. Okay. So I'm bringing it back to the same point, that if we give rahmah to our young people, that is a bigger shield. Yeah. In my experience, Allah knows best. And parents, you should always pray for your children. I'm sure you do. The dua of a prophet for, for the Muslim, the dua of a teacher for the student, the dua of a parent for the child, these are very, very special duas. And think about it. Ibrahim alayhi salam prayed for all of his descendants. Assalamu alaikum. I have a question. A very specific question, but before I go to the question, I would like to share a observation that I have from the workforce, yeah. working force. You talked about very definitely, very clearly you defined the cross-section of what these students are going through mm -hmm. on the campus. Uh, I'm very fortunate that as old as I am, I still sometimes get opportunities to work. Mm -hmm. And sure. in this working uh, opportunities, I have to interact with young professionals, mostly from India, Bangalore, Chennai, blah, 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 and some homegrown also. Mm -hmm. And then I also interact with the customers who are in the decision-making supervisory roles. And what I'm finding is that they have some discrimination mm -hmm. when they have to give uh, assign up projects mm -hmm. that Muslim kids, Muslim youngsters are bypassed. Mm -hmm. Not very openly, but I, since I can observe, mm -hmm. I can see some patterns mm -hmm. over there. Mm -hmm. And all along we thought that America was a place where there was professionalism, mm -hmm. there was sense of equality, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So that's my observation, mm -hmm. that I hope our children, when they go into the workforce, mm -hmm. they don't face that. That mm -hmm. would be very frustrating mm -hmm. for a professional. You have the qualities, but mm -hmm. you don't. And the specific question is, Malik Mahajit Mujahid, whom you know, and I think he has a very good pulse of the community. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in his fundraisers, he, had, he mentions the statistics of Muslim students who practice sex on campus, drinking, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then also in my circle of friends, old 
people that I belong to. Uh, sometimes we get the impression that our kids are having a dual personality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very startling thing most recently I heard was mm -hmm. that Natsab is here, he would know uh, either hepatitis B or C, mm -hmm. I believe 99% of the time you get it from unprotected sex. Oh, okay. They are having some other problems, mm -hmm. there they show up that their kids have this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what Malik Mujahid is saying, are there any forces that are impacting our children to take to that lifestyle? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I would agree that that's very common. Okay? Meaning, all of our kids are doing all the haram. Okay? Me, not all, no, not all of our kids. I mean, all the haram, Muslim kids are also doing it too. Okay? Uh, and that also includes things like eating disorders. That also includes things like cutting. Okay? Uh, that's all across the Muslim community as well. And not just in the public schools, this is also in full-time Islamic schools too. Okay? And so, what is it that's leading them that way? Well, one is peer pressure. Okay? Uh, another is loneliness. Okay? If you're going to be religious, you're going to be very small, part of a small population. And it used to be that you know, the Dariwali, the, 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 the Muslim students with beards and, the, and the, the, the sisters with hijabs were the ones who were clean. That's not true anymore either, right? Uh, at the end of the school year last year, okay, uh, for a one-week period of time, for whatever reason, coincidence, Allah knows best, all of these secret girlfriends were coming to me, okay? Meaning they're non-Muslim girls uh, in relationships, secret relationship with Muslim guys. Many of these Muslim guys were hufaz. And then they're coming to me saying, what do I do? I say, is he talking to his parents about you? No. Then he's just using you. You should leave him. And some of these girls also, out of their own issues, um, they won't leave these guys. Okay? But sometimes they're having this uh, out of peer pressure. Sometimes it's just loneliness. And, and I mean, because they're being told, you have to wait until marriage. And you can't talk to anyone until marriage. Okay? And, and so that increases the loneliness, and they all have biology. Okay? And so if one person starts doing it, other people start doing it, then, they all, then quite a few of them start doing it. Right? I think it's the normal factors that are compelling them to do it. We would like to think our kids are safe and everyone else is different. No. Um, the, our numbers are very similar in terms of all of these haram practices, similar to all the other groups. Yeah. That's the reality. I mean, that, uh, to really make this point, uh, there, were, uh, there were two Muslim kids who were expelled from a local college because this is true, they were the leading drug dealers on campus. Okay? And for one of them, their mother is very active in the community in terms of their, their particular community, not up here, but a different part of Chicago. Um, but that's still the exception in terms of the people who are selling. But the people who are buying, it's uh, non-Muslim kids, Muslim kids. That's the reality. Yeah. But a lot of this is peer pressure and loneliness. Yeah. Sal the uh, ever-present and prevalent issue of anti-Muslim rhetoric yeah. and sentiment in the um, world around us, and specifically in the campuses. Yeah. You know, uh, in the professional world, you know, it may not be that prevalent, but what have you seen in the uh, campuses itself, and what sure. do you recommend for the concerned parents, as sure. well as the children themselves? Sure. So, yeah, in terms of the workplace, I used to work in IT before I went into academics, and I had many of the same experiences, right? Like, uh, when I was in my interview, I said, on Friday for two hours, I'd like to be off, okay? So even if I have a meeting, I'm going to go to Friday prayers. And so many times there were meetings, I'd tell them, no, I have to go to Friday prayers, okay? And that also affected me in terms of my boss's view of me, right? Um, campus is a little bit different. Uh, I don't think there's as much anti-Muslim sentiment on campus openly. In okay. um, some teachers, yeah, there is. But I'd say it's not as much in big cities. Okay. All the other cities throughout the country, smaller cities, it's much more of a concern. Because in a place like Chicago, everyone's already used to diversity. Okay. And, and it's there. Sometimes there's teachers who, who, who are critical of, of the students. Sometimes they might be racist against, against black American students. Sometimes they might be against Jewish students. This is a Catholic university. Sometimes they might be against Muslim students. Uh, but more often than not, uh, on the Chicago campuses, the Muslim kids are usually pretty safe.
But once in a while, from somewhere in Chicago, some student will contact me or one of the other chaplains saying, here's what's going on. But I think in that aspect, for the most part, things are okay. Because, I mean, Chicago has four chaplains. Me, Tahira, Ahmad, Abdul Malik Ryan, and then at University of Chicago, Tahira Abdullah. So the simple fact that they're hiring these people means that they're concerned about this. Students sometimes, uh, uh, they'll get overzealous. Um, not so much uh, anti-Muslim, but anti-religion. Okay. Um, and so they will be critical and mocking anybody who follows any religion. And this often relates to whatever is happening in the world. So after there is the shooting of the cartoonists in France, then in some of the campus, some of the student organizations start to focus on free speech, free speech, free speech, and let's all draw Muhammad, you know, right? But even that, that's the minority of cases. But other places throughout the country, smaller cities, I think it's a bigger concern. In my experience, I'll let us best. From your vantage point, from colleagues uh, like, do you see any difference in the students who come from Islamic schools versus public schools in their uh, approach to the dean, mm -hmm. the life, and mm -hmm. interaction and everything? Sure, sure. So there's a many, uh, there's a lot of people who want to, for me to put it in an Islamic school mm -hmm. in a very, very, in a bubble of itself, mm -hmm. but when they come out of that to a college you're dealing with mm -hmm. all, all types of people mm -hmm. versus a public school where you have already mm -hmm. been through all these experiences. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference that you see? So, um, it depends on whether or not the students had friends or their cohort in the full-time Islamic school. So anytime a student tells me they went to full-time Islamic school, um, I'll ask them, would you put your kids in the school? Okay. The boys never say yes. Like, they never say yes. Whether it's IFS, CPSA, uh, uh, Universal, they never say yes. Okay. Uh, but uh, the girls seem to only say yes if they had a tight circle of friends. If they didn't have that, they also say no. Okay. Uh, in terms of the problems on campus, what happens with some... Well, I'll put it to you like this. The kids who, who went to full-time Islamic school who are good in college, and the kids who went to public school who are good in college, in every case, their parents were close to them. Their parents were involved in their lives. Okay. A lot of times we put our kids into full-time Islamic school, you know, uh, almost like throwing them, you, you, you teach them deen and everything. Those are usually the kids that go in the other direction. Okay. But I'll tell you also, because I teach Islamic studies, and when I'm reading papers, I can tell who went to full-time Islamic school because the quality is lower. Okay. When I'm assigning papers, okay. Uh, whether it's on the Quran, on the Prophet, peace be upon him, whatever the topic is, when I'm reading the paper, uh, I can tell if it's from a graduate of a full-time Islamic school because the quality is lower. Okay, because they're not being trained in English and in writing as much. Yeah, that's. I mean, this is uh, year after year. So. But like I said, the the students whose parents were involved in their lives, when they go to full-time Islamic school, they're even better. Aslam, there's this language and then when they went to, uh, but if the parents are not involved, then they fly away. Yeah. So we have hard stop at 11.40, so we have to stop here. So thank you very much, Brother Omar Muzaffar. So the key point what I learned is we need to engage parents as well as our NGO. Mm -hmm. So we will have some action plan in place, and we may approach you for some help, inshallah. So just a quick question if you have. He's my son. I have to give him a hug. <laughs> It's a very short question. Uh, you have dealt with many kids with the psychological problems, uh -huh. depressions. What are the chances of coming out of it? Like, what are the new methods that you advise them? Because I talked to some of the psychologists, they said some of the kids they just could not recover except medicine took them down, uh -huh. things like that. So I want them to come back to normal life. I mean, <clears throat> I think everyone can recover, uh, uh, but the more the different methods are involved, the better. So, so I work often closely with the Wellness Center. I'm helping on the side of Dean. The Wellness Center is helping on the side of other counseling. That's what their training is in. And then sometimes, you know, a psychiatrist will be involved in terms of medication, right? 
I mean, sometimes people don't like medication, but uh, because some psychiatrists are psychopharmacists, and uh, but in general, uh, I tell them if a physician's saying to do it, then do it. Okay. Um, but the more different methods that are involved simultaneously, the better, uh, especially if the parents and the family's involved. Right? Then I think recovery is possible. There's some people who they're almost like sociopaths, they're irredeemable. I think it's a tiny percentage. But the fewer methods that are used, then recovery will be slower, if at all. Yeah. Okay, so thank you so much. Uh, I think Brother Omar will be here, so one of one can ask some questions. Uh, please sign up for a speech competition soon, please. So next Sunday, shall we have speech competitions here? And please help me grab up the chairs. So thank you so much. It's like a lot. Okay. I'll that one.